Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now, your host, Bela Sebraff on The Definitive Rap. Hello, and welcome to The Definitive Rap. I am Bela Sebrow. Thank you to Vin News for hosting this show. Growing up Jewish and Orthodox, the topic of permitting abortion was if the pregnant mother's life is in danger. And of course, I read articles about the viewpoints of pro-choice and anti-abortion. When I was six weeks pregnant with my oldest child, I had an ultrasound, and the doctor performing it pointed out the heartbeat and brain development of the fetus. It was at that point where I saw that life begins in the womb. I've never been an activist on this, on this topic, but privately, I certainly was anti-abortion. I did become outspoken when the subject turned to late-term abortion, and if the fetus survives the abortion and is born, to leave it to die. At that point, I, I did become an activist. That, to me, felt inhumane, and I can't even fathom it. A fetus is not a glob of cells, as a pro-choice movement states, or an appendage like a gallbladder. I want to make it very clear. There are times where it is absolutely necessary, when the mother's life is in danger, to perform an abortion. And Jewish religion does permit that. Last week, history was made when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, the landmark ruling that established the constitutional right to abortion since 1973, which now means that abortion rights will be rolled back in nearly half of all states, giving individual states the power to set their own abortion laws. And the rallies and headlines by abortion right activists have been ongoing. From their standpoint, it is their refusal to acknowledge a fetus as a human. With us to talk more about this topic is Marie Fisher, Marie Miriam Fisher, (laughs) originally from Memphis, Tennessee. She's a resident of Baltimore City. Marie has worked as a freelance political consultant on various state of Maryland campaigns. She attended NYU and Turo College and has a degree in liberal arts. Marie is currently a lifetime member of Hadassah, serves as the director for community relations for Jexit, board member of the Baltimore Zionist District, a community director for Hayrut North America, and a spokesperson for Project 21, an initiative of the National Center for Public Policy Research. Marie was previously the immediate past chair of the Maryland Republican Jewish Council, as well as the previous second vice president for the Maryland Federation of Republican Women. Ms. Fisher was featured as one of the speakers at the initial Jackson rally in Washington, D.C. on May 2019. Ms. Fisher is an Orthodox convert to Judaism, and on a clip at that rally, it was highlighted that she has endured more anti-Semitism than racism, since most do not expect her to be Jewish upon first encounters. Ms. Fisher has also appeared on Sirius XM's POTUS, OANN Weekly Briefing, and CBS News Radio Weekend Roundup. Her writings have appeared in The Federalist, The Hill, Politichicks, as well as The Daily Caller. Marie, welcome to The Definitive Wrap. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, thank you for having me back, actually. Yeah, always a pleasure to have you join. The last time you were on this show, it was with other board members uh, from Jexit. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So for our audience uh, who are not yet familiar with a sustained organization, please share a little bit about what you do. All right, for well, Jack, that we are originally it started off as Jews exiting the Democrat Party, and we've we're still you know advocating for that, but we're also advocating for you know life and liberty and the America that most of us grew up in. We're you know advocating against BDS. We are you know we are fighting against anti-Semitism. We are just basically we're fighting for I'm saying the American way. Right. Right. Okay. Um, with the overturn of Roe versus Wade, what is the political climate in your state about this subject? Maryland is, is an odd state. Um, it's very Democrat, very, people say Maryland is very blue, but if you really drill down to it and you talk to a lot of people who are Democrat in Maryland, Maryland, Maryland's been Democrat for decades. But like I said, when you talk to people on individual basis, if you talk to most, I'll say older people, people who are 40 and older, they might be Democrats, but they're very conservative. They are blue dog Democrats. So they're Democrats, but they're but they're conservative in their views. A lot more conservative in their views. Unfortunately, like anywhere, the loudest, what they say, the loudest wagon gets the oil. Well, of course, the progressives are the loudest and that's what everybody hears. So unfortunately, Maryland, they have in their state constitution, abortion is legal. So that's not going to change anything here in Maryland. Right. And, you know, I, underst- I understand both sides, but I, like I said, one person said, this came down to an issue where you had states enacting abortion up until and after birth or even, you know, after a failed abortion. You know, I grew up with, I always heard that a fetus may or may not live outside the womb up to 22 weeks. But after 22 weeks, they can give birth. It can be kept, you know, they do their best to keep the baby alive, but life is viable. And for them to say that, all right, here's a baby who is viable and you're still going to abortion, you're going to brutally kill it. I think that's where things went too far. When you start having states like that, add to it, you had a number of women going around, what they say, shout your abortion or speaking of number of abortions. I mean, I've heard people say, it went from, yes, we under, people understand the scared teenage girl who's, you know, terrified, doesn't know what to do, or, or you know, women who might have been raped or who are incest. But it went from, like someone said, it went from safe and rare to went on demand. Right. And even then, it wasn't safe. I mean, we, what was that, the movie the other year about Dr. Gosnell? That was far from safe. And a lot of people, they might come against me, but a lot of the laws and abortion became so, so relaxed to the point that I remember some states were enacting where any, anybody with any medical education, not even doctors, but they had it where even maybe a nursing assistant or a, or a, you know, a, a nurse's aide, they're saying that they would be allowed to do abortions. And I could see it was coming to a level where, oh, you could they'll come up with like an abortion technician. And abortion is a serious, serious issue. People don't realize that. You have a lot of women, if something goes wrong in abortion, they can bleed out. And a lot of times abortions are not done in hospitals. Sometimes they're done like when a mother's in the hospital for another issue, she becomes ill, she can't birth. But they had it where abortions weren't even in hospitals. I remember the case that came in front of the Supreme Court, I believe it was two years ago, three years ago. 
It came out of Louisiana and it came from a Democrat legislator in Louisiana where she was pushing for any doctor who was doing an abortion at an abortion clinic had to have admitting rights to a hospital within 50 miles. I mean, to me, that makes common sense. Any doctor doing any type of procedure should have admitting rights within a hospital 50 miles because if something goes wrong. Procedure. I, right. If something goes wrong and that yes. at the time was and not it can. Mm-hmm. that was knocked out by the Supreme Court, but it came from a Democrat and through the black female Democrat lawmaker who who pushed that law. And, and that's a law that was a law in Louisiana. So, I'm t- you know, one of the things I think that got everybody, they treat abortion like you were going to the dentist. Yeah. They almost treat it like that. And I would ask people, would you trust a nurse that and there's no knock on nurses aides or nursing assistants. My mother was one, but within the same breath, would you let a nurse's aide do any type of surgery on you? Would you let mm-hmm. nurses aide do any type of invasive procedure with something being removed for your body? I don't think so. And this is where we were at. It became unregulated. A lot of times you don't even know what happens. They don't even take note of when some when a someone when a baby's aborted and a mother has issues afterwards. Most of them you don't even know about that because they stay in the clinic, maybe some a few hours, send them on their way, then they go to the hospital later, say they're bleak. Some might tell they have abortion, some might not. So there is no truth. It's never reported in what whatever complication happens, it's never reported that it was a result of the abortion. It just exactly. something happens. Yeah, something happened, or they'll say that, oh, it's a birth, that, you know, miscarriage. You don't know how they're reporting. And no one knows how they're reporting. So that's where we've run into this issue now where, you know, it, it, it became, it almost came like a wild, wild west. And I'm pretty sure a lot of people in the center who were, you probably have a lot of people who were pro-choice, who were saying, okay, yes, for safe and rare to... You know, there are some people who are using abortion as birth control. Yes, yes, yes. I, I, I have spoken to people um, and they, well, if I get pregnant, I can always have an abortion. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's so trivialized. Right. They, they made it very trivial and it, it shouldn't have been that way. It, it shouldn't be that way ever. And so I like what another person said, we're going to come back to middle ground on this. But right now, everything is so polarized. And there are so many, so much misinformation out there. It's funny. They, I remember they would ban everybody from misinformation on COVID or anything else. And it's like, you know, I don't see social media blocking misinformation on this. I have people going on there, oh, abortion's illegal, abortion's illegal. No, it's not illegal. It might be illegal in certain states. Right. And a lot of states, even a, a lot of states is not completely illegal. A lot of states have it where after a certain time period, you know, six to eight weeks, you can't have an abortion. Right. Or some are 12 weeks. It's, you know, it's up to, and I understand that. I remember I didn't know I was pregnant until I was about eight, eight or nine weeks along for my son. And that's when there was a heartbeat. In fact, the first sonogram I had, it, they had his heartbeat. Yes. At eight weeks. Yes. yes. As I mentioned at six weeks, you know, the doctor pointed out at the Mm-hmm. Wow, that's the heartbeat, and that's the brain, and I'm like, wow. Mm-hmm. So it's not a glob of cells. So the glob no. of cells does not have a heartbeat. Exactly. It exactly. does not have a heartbeat. And you're right, in Jewish law, we do allow. And a lot of people are saying you can't get abortion at all, even if you're, something's wrong. If people would sit and be quiet for a few minutes and actually go and read the laws, 
of, and I know that's too much work for people to, like to read anything nowadays, but actually go research, you know, read the full Supreme Court ruling. It's pages and pages, but sit down and read it and then go to different states that have the trigger laws, read their law. Almost every one of them have in there a provision if the mother's life is in danger. Right, right. So why don't people look at it? I mean, in your opinion, you know, if someone was were to live in a state uh, where abortion is illegal, they can just get in the car and go somewhere else. So why why this uproar, in your opinion? Well, it, first of all, it's politicized. It's been politicized. And that has been driven by the media. Because some of you are saying, oh, well, poor women can't get up and go somewhere else. Okay. And I'm like, well, now you've got all these companies paying for people. <laughs> you see, they're like, what, hundreds of companies that they will pay now? And so, all right, so, all right, you have them, they'll pay. What about, what about that? And then do, and, and is it always poor women who want abortion? I mean, a lot of times people who do get abortions, it's not always poor women. No, of course. It's not always because these are not cheap. These are not, you know, they're not, yes, a lot are below the federal. They said, you know, some are below the federal poverty level. Some are one to two times below the poverty level. But, and that's only occurred in recent years, actually has occurred more after the recession in mm. 2009 where those numbers went up. And is it because the abortion or it's because people just have less money <laughs> due to what happened before? You know, it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it, the whole situation is tragic. It is making our country more divisive, more, more polarized. And what gets me angriest is like, why aren't people who are pro-choice, or, I don't even say pro-choice anymore. I think there's really three levels. There are people who are, you know, they believe, they're anti-abortion. There are people who are pro-choice or they want some middle ground. And then you have people who are just pro kill the children or kill your child. It, 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 there's no too straight of pro-choice, pro, pro-life. It's, there's too much gray area in between. What I can't understand is, you know, right now the two groups, why aren't we all working together to come up with situations or per, come up with a program so abortion is a very much last choice for all these companies that are paying for these women. Some are paying up to $4,000. Are you also going to pay up to $4,000 for families that want to, to adopt their children, adopt other people's children? Are we, you know, why aren't we encouraging more adoptions within the United States? I, I saw uh, a certain preacher I know, I'm friends with where I used to live. You know, he's like this pro-choice, but yes, he's adopted, but he has adopted children from another country. You know, I've been wanting to confront confront this man, say, why aren't you adopting Americans? There are so many American children of different races and nationalities that are dying for parents. And some are, and this man, he did adopt children who have special needs. So you can't say, you know, so what's wrong with the children here in America? Yeah. Why aren't you adopting them? Why are people running halfway around the world to adopt children instead of here? But I would like to see all both groups working together 
let's prevent the need for abortion or make sure it's only, only, you know, when needed, not because, oh, I'm in the middle of my career and I don't want a baby now. Well, you got to take adequate precautions. Yeah. You know, especially if you're in the middle of a career. Use the abortion as a form of birth control. Exactly. You know, you, you know, I look, my, my ex-husband, he was born in 1971. His mother was a teenager. She gave him up to adoption to a family that gave him a better life than probably what he, what he would have had. You know, I'm engaged to a man. He's adopted three children. Mm-hmm. They're all grown. So it's like, you yeah. know, why, what, what is keeping people from coming to a common sense solution instead of screaming at each other and, you know, flinging names and vile messages at each other. Right. Why are we there? Yeah. Marie, why do you think that people are so cold about abortion and not just agree that abortion should not be used as a form of birth control and only in the case of where it would endanger the mother physically and mentally, such as rape and incest? I think we've gotten cold because in society we've gotten cold. We have no sanctity of life, period. That's where we are. When you have you have a media that is filled with violence, you have a media that's filled with sex. So when you add the two together, you know, we have sexual images everywhere, we have violent images everywhere. We're led to the society where we don't care about life. And we know life comes from, you know, come from conception from sex. So if we treat sex as not, I mean, some of you might not like what I say, but sex was meant to be a holy thing, not frivolous, not something just did for fun because you're bored. It was meant to be a holy thing. It was meant to bring, like I said, we were to be fruitful and multiply. And that was the purpose was so we could be fruitful and multiply and bring children into the world. It wasn't meant to be, oh, I'm tired, I'm bored, let's just hook up. And when you have that mentality, whatever, whatever, um, whatever comes of it, you're going to treat like, oh, you know, they treat it like, and you add to the fact that you had a whole feminist movement that, you know, made like, oh, women, you're burdened by children. Really? You're really burdened by children? And you see women who have multiple children. I know a lady, I mean, you know of her. She has a yeshiva at Israel, a, a seminary. I think she had about 16, 17 children. She traveled the world, built it. And I'm like, that's burden? I'm like, I'll take that burden. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Do you think that this overturn uh, will affect upcoming elections? I don't know yet. I mean, right now we're in primary season. It might. It might bolster in like heavily Democrat states. It might bolster some of the pro-choice or leftist candidates. But come November, it's all going to depend, I really believe, on the economic situation of this country. If people are hurting, if people are financially hurting, social issues are not going to matter. People are going to look at their pocketbook. And like they said, most women, are they going to choose abortion? Are they going to choose, especially, you know, middle-class college educated women, are they going to choose, you know, will I be able to have abortion in the future or my daughter? Or can I get, can I put food on the table right now? Or will I be able to have enough money to drive to work as gas prices keep soaring? 
People are going to look at economic issues. They're not going to look at social issues. So at you the don't think it's, it will have any effect in your in your opinion? I mean, I know it remains come, to be seen, but uh, it, it remains to be seen. But it, like I yeah. said, it depends upon the situation. Come October, November, if things are still financially bad, and especially if we're we head towards a recession, I don't think abortion is going to be even. I mean, people are going to push it. The media will still push it. But at the end of the day, people are just going to look at, you know, like I remember George Bush said, are you better off now than you were two years ago or four years ago? And he, when, when politicians ask that question and people give an answer, if you recall, I remember exactly. That's one of the reasons that helped Bush lose in 92, because he asked that question and people are like, no, we're not better off. And if politicians ask, are we better off? You'll hear, the, you'll hear the answer, especially come November. Right, right. Um, you're very outspoken um, against racism and anti-Semitism. Um, what has your personal experience been like? Can you please share with our audience? Oh, it's interesting because like a lot of people meet me, they don't think I'm Jewish. So I do, people said, oh, how could you have more racism and anti-Semitism? I mean, up of this way, racism, there is racism in this country. I'm not going to, sugarcoat like a lot of people say oh there's no racism yes there is there is but people are less likely to be outwardly racist than they are outwardly anti-semitic just in general because right now they've made it so you know you have this whole anti-racist mentality and this and that and the other which a lot of it is racist within itself because it's racism of low expectations but you you are less likely to have somebody to say something bad about someone black because the repercussions would be fast and quick or someone who's Hispanic. But saying things about Jewish people, that seems to be no one cares. So it's okay to say something bad about a Jew, but not about any particular race. Because you look at a lot of the pictures, you look at a lot of the images that have come out here and there. You see flyers being you know, fly, a friend of mine said there were flyers down in Miami in the Boca area in Florida, anti-Semitic. You've, I mean, look, we've got people in Congress blatantly say things that are so anti-Semitic. If somebody in Congress said something that came off racist, they would be gone. In fact, look what happened to, um, I can't remember what state he's from, but remember Representative King. People, people, I guess, thought what he said was racist, or I don't remember what his exact statements were. Some of the things he said were borderline, and they drummed him out of office. People are quick to drum someone out of office who's racist, no matter what party you are. But you've got that whole squad. You have people both on the left and the right who say things are anti-Semitic, and nothing happens. And And if we talk, people say, oh, you're just being whiny. Or we're being privileged because people have this mentality of being Jewish equals being white, which is, you and I both know is far from it. Of course. So your experience has been mainly, you know, what your experience has been uh, mostly against anti 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 Semitism. Uh, yeah, it's not direct. More so than that you're not white. Yeah, because people say things. You know, especially like in groups of people, they will say things about Jews and this and that and the other, and they don't expect me to be a Jewish. Mm-hmm. So they think, oh, well, it's safer, they figure. But even that's going to be, become more blatant, mm-hmm. as you'll see. You're seeing more blanketed anti-Semitism, even if they find out you're Jewish, they're more so. You know, mm-hmm. you read stories every day 
where people in New York are, are being physically attacked right on the streets yes. in yes. the open. Just because you had a story a few weeks, was it a few months ago where a kid was wearing an IDF sweatshirt and he was attacked. Right. I mean, how many people you see wearing a Che Guevara shirt and being attacked? And God knows that man was bigoted, racist, homophobic, yet the left wears his shirt like, you know, a badge of pride. Right. And the, uh, and the organization ejects it. What are you doing to combat this issue? A lot of times we're just a lot of it speaking out, rallying around the issue. Um, like I just did an article, but hopefully it'll get permitted, uh, pushed to the Jewish Journal talking about why we need Jewish unity right now more than ever before. Um, we're just trying to bring it to light. That's the biggest thing that we can do right now is bring these issues to light, no matter who you are, no matter what you are. And right now there are so many groups out there. I said, it would be nice if we could just have one or two groups and everybody works together because when people see, when they see people, we as Jews respect ourselves, respect what we believe in, they respect us. And when they see us fight back, you're less likely to have issues. I, you know, I wrote recently, I don't understand. You hear stories about people being attacked in Brooklyn. Brooklyn has probably the largest concentration of Jews outside of Israel. Yeah. Yet, it, if, it's, if everybody who was Jewish in the area, who saw these attacks, if they would either jump in to help or jump in to at least protect the person being attacked, people would less likely attack again because they would think twice especially in highly populated areas where there's big Jewish populations. You know, there was a recent story where a Jewish truck driver stopped. He wasn't, I don't think he was Hasidic, but he saw a Hasidic man being beat. He jumped out of his truck and helped. Yes. And when we do that, that makes the anti-Semites realize, oh, they are fighting back because they think we're not going to fight back. They think we're going to, you know, lay down, accept it. You know, like I'm not going to make them say we cannot be Jews. I don't think I'm not going to be. I'm sorry. I might miss the point, but we cannot be Jews with trembling knees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as long as people think we are, they're going to take advantage of us. Right. So um, are you going on the campuses and educating people? Because I think that um, much of anti-Semitism amongst youth is um, ignorance and lack of education. Mm-hmm. It is. Um we're not going on the campuses. There is another group, uh, Students for Israel, that are on college campuses that are trying to help, you know, fellow Jewish students. Um, I also work with an organization called Harut. And one of the things we're trying to do is, I say we call building Jewish self-esteem. If you build the Jewish self-esteem, you know, either we're doing people defense, we're teaching people martial arts, we're just teaching people to be proud to be Jewish, to be happy to be Jewish, happy to be a Zionist, if you, if you want to be Zionist but we're just teaching people to have that self-esteem of being Jewish because once you have that self-esteem, it's easier to fight off your detractors. It's easier to come back when you are, when you have the tools you need to fight them off, it makes it easier instead of trying to back down and, you know, quiver. You know, I think last year I spoke, I spoke at a rally where I told people, you know, wear your, your star David out, wear your humsuck, wear your yarmulke, wear your sitsits, let people know. And, you know, when I see people who do wear those out and I wear, you know, I don't wear, I wear my Hebrew name out. So people do come up to me and I, you know, I found a coworker who, you know, I saw he was wearing a Star David. So I went up to him, started talking to him and it helps. It, it actually, it helps bind us as a people. 
you know, if you see someone else, a fellow Jew, want to start David, doesn't matter what their race or color, go talk to them. Right. It helps because it, it it helps reinforce it. And you feel like, you know, we scream Am Yisrael Chai. We need to believe Am Yisrael Chai, that right. we are one, that Jewish people live. Right, right. It's interesting that you say that uh, raising self-esteem um, will make people feel more comfortable wearing their yarmulkes because I, I, you know, I travel into the city and, um, you know, they may wear their yarmulke on the train from, you know, the Orthodox Jewish community. And when they get to their destination, the yarmulke comes off and they put it in their pocket. And, you know, I don't know that it's always self-esteem. It may be self-esteem. Maybe they feel self-conscious that they're Jewish. But I, I also mm-hmm. wonder if it's fear, fear of um, yeah. being viewed as, as a Jew and uh, suffering the consequences if, if they run into somebody, somebody who's anti-Semitic and, you know, and something might happen along the way. Or maybe we're too busy, you know, being afraid of being other. Like a lot of people don't want to be an other. But, you know, I look at this way. I'm an other, <laughs> you know, straight out. I'm automatically an other all my life. Right. So for me, it's, you know, I have people say, well, how does it feel? How does it feel? I'm like, I've been an other all my life. So to me, it's just par for the course. You know, I have friends who, I've had people who say you're a unicorn. Because, you know, I look at this way, I'm, I'm black, I'm Jewish, I'm a conservative. So I'm always an other, no matter what. And so for me to fight and scream and shout and say, hey, hey, this is wrong. I take it in stride. Right, right. Well, you are certainly a role model for many, many to follow. Oh, thank you. Uh, and uh, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Marie, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, um, thank you so much for yeah, having me. With your education and, and um, you know, straightforward viewpoints. Thank you to Vin News and to our audience for tuning in. Okay, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your host, Bela Seabrow. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can catch The Definitive Rap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Rap.